0: Turn with me, if you would, over <clears throat> to the book of 2 Samuel, book of Second Samuel, and we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to look at verse 3, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 3, and we'll start at verse 1, and then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, but David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Verse 2, now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance, verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, it is, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Lord, help us as we study your word today. We're going to look at Bathsheba on Mother's Day and talk about the transformation through which this woman went that allowed her to be a woman of distinction. She went from being somebody who was manipulated, used as a pawn, to somebody who became a matriarchal icon. David finds himself in a very unusual spot in this passage. Normally he's with his men when they're out at war. That is his standard operating procedure. And that he is at home when his men are out at war is strange. And I've read a lot of commentators who ascribe neglect and irresponsible behavior, indeed laziness to David, on top of the sins that he would commit by having this woman come to his palace. And I, I just don't think that was the case with David. We don't see David ever telling his men to go out there and you face danger while I live in the lap of luxury. That, that never happened. So I believe something else kind of inspired him to stay at home when his men were at war, because this is the only time he did it. Now, there, there are chronological uh, narratives in Scripture, and you have to notice when it is chronological and when it stops. Most of 1st and 2nd Samuel is all chronological. But it seems to stop at chapter 20 of 2nd Samuel. And when you get to 21 through 24, which end the book, what you have is a compilation of stories that are kind of the highlight reel of David's life and gives a history about how Israel came to be what it was under David's rule, the men who were extraordinary in their leadership and feats the events that happened that were cataclysmic to the nation. In fact, it's very, very, very poetic and chiistic in its orientation in that it gives first Second Samuel 21 a picture of a national famine and a narrative. Then it goes through the feats of the men of Israel. Then it goes through a song and a poem, then another song and a poem, then more feats of Israel, and then a national cataclysmic event and another famine. And so it seems to be that the writer of, verses 20, of chapter 21 through 24 is, are do, is doing some things differently than the writer who did it straight chronologically from chapter 1 through chapter 20. He's highlighting things and he's doing it in a very artistic way. Book ending 21 and 24 with famine events and then filling it with great feats, poems, and songs. I say that because if you look at chapter 21, chronologically, then you won't place the event, which I believe inspired to, David to stay home, in the right setting. At the, at, near the end of chapter 21, it says that David was fighting the Philistines again, along with his men. They were at war. But David was fighting. He was out there. He wasn't sitting on a hill and watching his men do it. He was actually engaged in battle. And there was a descendant of the son, descendant of the, of the giant, Goliath, who was fighting against David. And David was losing. Hmm. You know, even Tom Brady has to retire someday. You can't be a warrior forever. You might be able to be one in your heart, but you can't get on that field at the age of 60. Not a good idea. And David had been warring for most of his life. And sometimes you just, you can't beat father time. Age just gets your body not as quick as you used to be. I like to think I am in my mind. I like to think I can dunk, but I can't. I actually never was able to, and I'm far farther away now than I ever hoped I would be. David was older, and a man, actually, one of David's men, had to come and rescue him from the giant. He vanquished the giant, saved David, and then all the men said afterwards, listen, you can't go out to war with us anymore lest the lamp of Israel go out. So I think that as a narrative that kind of is one of the highlight reels that defines David should not be put in chronological order with chapter 20. I think it's just an event that happened that defines how David wound up on the roof. He was old. And it fits in the, the narrative with respect to the chronology of how Solomon was born. Meaning Solomon was born in David's old age and that David waited as long as he possibly could David died when he was 70 that's that's fairly young for a king who would live in the lap of luxury except David was a warrior and so it takes its toll on his body David died when he was 70 he waited and waited and waited to anoint a king a son who would be his heir as king and he waited and waited and waited so long that one of his sons just assumed that he would be the one that would take the throne Adonijah he was the eldest son And, and Adonijah printed up business cards and said I'm king He got his prophets around him and all of his support and ran through the city proclaiming, monarchy is mine, I sit on the throne. But David had not said it. Bathsheba goes to David and said, David, I thought you said your son, our son, Solomon, would sit on the throne. And David said, oh yeah, okay, I guess I gotta do it now. Why was David waiting so long? He was on his deathbed. Why was he waiting so long? Because he was trying to live long enough for Solomon to grow old enough to rule. But Solomon was just a kid, and he was too young. But David was on the way out, and Adonijah took the throne. He took the authority, thinking, okay, i got to take it. He hasn't proclaimed it, but I know I'm the eldest. And then David got the strength and said, by the way, Solomon's king. And then we have confirmation that Solomon was young by the fact in 1 Kings 3, it says when when Solomon is, is talking to God, I am young and inexperienced. I don't know how to go in or come out. And that meant for a king what it meant to go out to war and make sure you come back. Because if you went out to war and you, 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 didn't come, you didn't know how to come back, that usually meant you didn't. That's not good. So you have to know how to go out so you can come back, which meant you needed military strategy to be implemented in your life through education and live long enough to experience it a little bit so that you weren't just a greenhorn telling everybody else who was a great warrior what to do. And Solomon says, I have no idea how to do any of that. Nobody's going to put any confidence in me as, as, as as a leader to send them out to war. I am too young, oh God, help me. All of that to say that David was trying to wait. Lord, let me live long enough where my boy can grow up. But he couldn't. That's a confirmation. That David, while he was on his rooftop, was aged because he didn't have Solomon yet, but he would as a result of having Bathsheba. All of that to say, David was going through a midlife crisis. (laughs) All he'd done is war all his life. And now he was stuck on the roof, sitting at home with his with his servants and and, in the lap of luxury, when all he knew was being with his men on the battlefield. And he was trying to figure out what does next look like. And he's out there just walking, and all of a sudden, like any very man, he sees something he shouldn't see. Listen, when you're in transition, you need to be careful. When you're going through midlife crisis, you need to be careful. You still have your virility. You better be careful what you watch. Better be careful what your eyes peer to. Better be careful what you do. Don't just wander around on your proverbial rooftop. Rooftop. Forgive me. Rooftop. Don't do that. You find men with whom you can walk if you got to walk on your rooftop. Who can begin to tell you what you should not do, what you should not see, how you should not think. You need others in your life who can bolster your confidence in moving forward to God, even though, even though you don't know what next looks like. Yeah, yeah. Be careful about what it means to go through transition. And it might not be, be mean just a midlife crisis. It might mean any transition. Some of us are going to go through transition now. Yeah, true. You might not have the job that you used to have. And I'm telling you, men, when we get through, when we go through difficulties in our employment and we find ourselves without something to do that gains us resources, we handle it very differently than women. Now it's not that it doesn't affect women, it does deeply. I'm just saying there's a difference. God made Adam, and as soon as he made Adam, he put him in the garden. He said, Work. The, 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 the place between, the space between When he was created and what he was required to do, very small. When God made Eve, it says he made her and brought her to the man. Rather than saying get in the garden and work, Eve's first thought, Eve's first, if you will, tied to her purpose was relationship, not employment. This is why women are much more relationally drawn than men are. And men are tied to their work. So when a man loses his job, it's like he lost his life. He doesn't know what to do. Depression begins to set in. Uh, The discouragement lives on the stoop of the house of his heart. And he has no idea where to go. He's lost his sense of identity. He doesn't know how to be. And everything within the the, the woman and the people in the house around whom he has to be, everything within him says, please, if you can't go to work, go someplace. Just don't stay here. He is so intolerable to be around because he mopes. This is what happens. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm saying transition occupationally affects men differently. And we have to be full of faith to go through it well. We cannot be people that allow the circumstances of life to dictate the health of our soul. We have to apply the word of God and say, Lord, you got something for me, even though I can't see it yet. I'm going to trust that this period of transition where I'm not where I should be is going to be, I'm going to to put myself exactly where I should be. Meaning even though I can't get out there and work, I'm going to find myself in your presence. You obviously want me to spend more time with you. So I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to cocoon myself in the authority of your word so that I come out looking different than I went in. No butterfly looks like the caterpillar that went into the cocoon. So the man of God, when he's in transition, needs to cocoon himself in the authority of the word of God and come out transformed. I'm telling you, this period of social isolation, this uh, uh, self-quarantine, this uh, being sheltered in the same spot, I'm using it. I'm not wasting time. My voice is changing like a person who happens to be in puberty. My voice is changing. I'm finding God better understanding his word more and even at the age that approaches 60 I'm finding myself maturing into something I'm not wasting this trial now could I do it better absolutely can't everybody do everything better but I'm not wasting it don't let transition be that which gives you an excuse to do bad so here we see this woman Bathsheba she's bathing out on the roof David Caesar. Now, I went to Jerusalem, so I went to Israel the last two years, and they, they found David's, what they believe is David's palace. And it sits on a hill, Mount Zion, pretty much. Pretty close to that. And you can see a lot of houses from this spot. And it's almost as if you, you could realize where David was and what he peered to see. Now, it didn't mean that Bathsheba was doing anything wrong. She was in her own home. She ought to be able to do what she wants to do in her own home. Her husband was out of war. And poor woman. She was married to a great man. Uriah was a great man. Bathsheba was the daughter of of a man named Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel is found in Scripture. You can look at all the notes there online, And he happened to be one of David's counselors, one of the wisest men ever. He always gave accurate and good counsel. So good was it that when David was uprooted from the throne by his son Absalom, that Ahithophel stayed with Absalom. And you can understand why Ahithophel would do that even though he made a bad decision. Everybody kind of knew. And you know the story. David sees Bathsheba. He invites her to his palace. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. David realizes, I can't fix this. So he brings Uriah home from the war to try to sleep with his wife so that they can cover up the pregnancy. He won't do it because he says, how in the world could I enjoy the pleasures of life while my brothers are out at battle? I won't do it. He slept on his stoop every night. David has to send him back to battle. And as a result of Uriah's integrity, David gives orders. David gives orders to Joab, who is a leader of the army, through Uriah. Uriah has to carry these orders to Joab saying, attack the city, run up close to the wall, make sure Uriah is there. And when when you're attacked, withdraw, but don't tell Uriah. Joab institutes this order and it's really sad that Uriah has to take his own death sentence to Joab. Joab does what David says, and Uriah dies. Joab sends word back to David, saying, we won, the battle is ours, the city is ours, and Uriah, your servant, is dead. To which David says, many men fall in battle. Horrible. All of a sudden, Bathsheba is taken as David's wife. And everybody's sitting around thinking, hmm, that's interesting. Wonder why that happened like that. And folks began sniffing around a little bit. Then prophets began sniffing around. And when you get a prophet sniffing around, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And all of a sudden, word gets out. I don't think Joab said anything. But you have to, to, to remember, all the other men who were in the front line, when they withdrew in that battle, they had to wonder, why didn't Uriah? He's a smart man. He's one of the, Uriah was one of David's 30 greatest military strategic men. He wasn't just another guy. He was a prince among warriors. Why didn't Uriah? What was that, Joe? What, what was that? things happen no they don't happen to Uriah not like that he knows better and why did we choose that strategy of going up to the wall of the city that's nobody does that they throw stuff down on you like that we've never done that before why did we do questions and then all of a sudden Bathsheba has a baby and they're realizing Uriah was at war, wait, 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 David took the woman. Why would he take a woman who had another man's baby? Ah. Ahithophel, Ahithophel was Bathsheba's father, excuse me, grandfather. I said father-in-law earlier, grandfather. You know he wasn't happy. And so he sides with Absalom thinking that God's judgment is coming on David. Bad. Bad in every way. He was offended. And he used that offense as justification for doing wrong. And Ahithophel had given Absalom really good counsel. So good was the counsel that Hushai, who happened to be another counselor for David, had to pretend he was a a part of Absalom's uh, court but he was a spy from David as David was being uprooted by Absalom and had to leave the city Hushai stayed to confront and confound the counsel of Ahithophel and he did so and Ahithophel gave really good counsel about how to get David but Hushai reversed it and Ahithophel felt so disrespected he went out and committed suicide there are so many bad things that happened as a result of David's sin so many bad things but this is who This is is who Bathsheba was. And Uriah was a great warrior. She had some standing in the community. But she was now a widow. And the pain of that, I mean, we look at David's sin, but we hardly see how much it affects Bathsheba. She was a widow. And not only was she a widow, she now had to marry the man who killed her husband. I don't ascribe any wrongdoing to Bathsheba in this because when the king says do stuff, it's, you're, you're pretty much bound to do it. This is one of the reasons that God said, I don't want my people to have a king because they have ultimate authority on the planet. Judges did not, meaning people who were in the place of, of a judge did not. The kings exercised authority, the judges didn't. And so Bathsheba came, and I don't don't think she was a willing participant. I think she felt hemmed in and manipulated by people with power. She had a baby by the murderer of her husband. Every day, I imagine, she cried and wept because she loved, she had to love Uriah and didn't know what to do with this man, David things happen with ladies when men don't do right when there's manipulation involved things go on in the soul of a woman that are very conflicting and contrary and I don't understand them all because I'm not a woman I, 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 I don't speak woman I, I do my best but, but my version of understanding woman is much like a dog would understand me go, sit Stand, kneel. I I, I do my best to really get what they're trying to say, but I don't get most of it. It takes Cynthia and I two or three hours worth of conversation for me to understand what she's saying. And it's all my fault. I get it. But we men are still responsible in so many ways for the health of our women. We're responsible. Even though we may not get it all, we have to figure out how to be people that are sensitive enough to work through. Because for the most part, we run stuff. And sometimes we don't run it well. This woman was manipulated by a man who had all power. But I want you to know something. You may be in a situation, dear lady, that is not advantageous to your well-being you may have rethought decisions that you made earlier and think that was a bad one but I can't get out of it please understand God can work through anything and he can not just work through it for your benefit he can make it great he can make it great I don't know how in the world Bathsheba got to this place but she was the wife of Uriah the widow of Uriah and then the wife of David her first son died it was so bad the child of their their immoral union but the second one Solomon and the beauty of Solomon is that Solomon talks about his parents Proverbs chapter 4 and Proverbs chapter 9 are all about what Solomon learned from his daddy we've ascribed most of of the Proverbs to Solomon indeed we should because they were written by him but four through nine are his quotes from his daddy he said let me tell you what my daddy taught me and chapter four all the way through nine are about david we want to say how wise solomon was he was but he had a platform somebody gave him that wisdom almighty god in using his daddy David became a really good dad. We don't see Absalom writing a book like this. We don't see Adonijah writing a book like this. Solomon did. Something happened to transform David. And to bookend it, Solomon talks about his mama at the end of the book. Proverbs 31. These are the words that my mama taught me. It says of Lemuel. And we believe that that King Lemuel is an affectionate term that was used to describe who Solomon was. Uh, I, I have seven kids that you saw. And I've got a name generally for all of them, but my sixth is Brooke. And I call her Tuliu. It has nothing to do with her name. It just has to do with the, the way I felt when I saw her all the time. My brookilu, and then I say my tuliu. Yeah, it means nothing except it's an affectionate way for me to address my daughter in a way that only I can do. Nobody else calls her that but me, and it makes me feel really good when she responds. It's something we have as a bond. King Lemuel was not Lemuel was not Solomon's name, but it may have been that something. It may have been something to his mama. And so we believe Proverbs 31 is about Solomon talking about his mama the whole chapter. What a woman. My point is this, that we see two people getting together under really bad circumstances, winding up really great. And there is great hope for you, mama. Doesn't matter the circumstances under which you came into the relationship you have with your spouse. Or maybe it didn't work out and you don't have a spouse anymore. Now you're a single mama. I want you to know. Or maybe you never got even married. And, and, and you, you got kids. I want you to know God's not done with you yet. It may not have worked out well in the beginning. But my God can take a really bad recipe that starts wrong and turn it out to taste great. You would never know that Bathsheba started like that from Proverbs 31. Never. And not only was she the wife of David, and swallowed hard to love the murderer of her husband, and to have a son, and look at him every day and realize, you remind me of of the murderer of your dad. Uh, the, The complications in her soul with which she had to deal on a regular basis were many, but she comes out of it well. Your God wants you to come out of whatever you're dealing with well. And it was so well she came out of it. She became not just a a, a manipulative pawn for somebody else's benefit, but she became a matriarch who who was an icon. I mean, you read Proverbs 31, mamas, you say, wow, she was a businesswoman. She had servants. She she taught her son what it meant to not imbibe and elicit uh, 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 substances, how how, how alcohol should not be a part of a king's uh, uh, practice. I, again, I'm not saying alcohol can't be a part of yours, but she was talking to a king, and and she said strong drink. She wasn't talking about w- weak drink. Go ahead, make your own definition. But she said strong drink. <laughs> strong drink should not be a part of a king's rule. Why? Because he's got to make decisions all the time. He can't be influenced by anything but wisdom and the spirit of Almighty God. You have responsibilities. I've got responsibilities so I don't drink. People call me at all times of the night wanting to get information. They email me stuff. I can't be inebriated when I'm responding. I can't be influenced by something else. I've got to be disciplined. I learned from Mama Bathsheba. And it says she was a queen. First Kings 2 says that when Solomon came to power, he had his throne. I think it's verse 15 in 1 Kings 2. says that he made one for his mama. See, he didn't know, and most kings don't. don't they don't know how they can really trust somebody who they marry because there may be other, altern, other motives for the marriage and that they really want power. I'm not saying that that is the way women think, or a woman would think who would marry a king. I'm just saying that was the mindset of most kings. And though Solomon had a bunch of wives, 700, none of them sat on the throne. But he knew this, I can trust my mama. She only has my best interest in mind. So he made a throne for her right there. Boy, I wish I could do that for my mama. My mama was fabulous. She died over a decade ago, complications from diabetes, but she held our family together. My daddy did what he could. He didn't know everything that he should in order to raise us well, but he was, a, he was an attentive father, but he wasn't the best husband and he messed up our lives. And my mama did the best she could to try to hold us together. And every day of my life, I'm grateful for that woman who stood on the on the stoops of the courthouse when our house was being foreclosed twice because we were living in the suburbs on a teacher's salary of $22,000 a year. And she didn't want us to move because the school system was good and we had acclimated into white America and she wanted us to have an advantage and so she would she would figure out a way to go recover the house off the, off the auction block. She borrowed money from this, from that, from her mother, from her father, from her, her brother, to get the house back just so her kids could have a good education. She, every morning, 5 a.m., she'd get up and made us breakfast. I'm not talking about chocolate Cheerios, Captain Crunch. I'm talking about eggs, bacon, toast. Every morning at 5 a.m., made us breakfast. Without fail, even on Saturday when she could sleep in, made us pancakes, my mama. I could go on and on with the sacrifices that woman made, and I wish she could sit right there with me, my wife, and let her know. Solomon said, Bathsheba, mama, you're going to sit right here. I realize what you went through. I heard the stories, but nobody's going to disrespect you anymore. They're going to honor you. We don't have record that any other king in Judah ever had a throne for their mama. Now, there may have been one that was set and other kings put their mamas on it, but we don't have record of it. She went from manipulated pawn, maybe even disrespected by a lot of people in Israel, to revered mamas. There is nothing God can't overcome not just your own struggles and your own issues, but what other people have done to you, there is nothing he can't overcome. With that hope, have a happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Inspire us to be the best we can be for your glory. If there's anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ I want to give you an opportunity to do so or maybe you made a decision in the past about serving Jesus but you've fallen away and you're so far away that there's there's no way you could describe your life as being a Christian and you want to come home now if you fit in either of those categories just raise your hand high or say hi on the screen and pray with me say Father in heaven forgive me I am sorry for the way I've lived I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin, and to follow you with all of my heart thank you for forgiving me thank you for loving me and thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life in Jesus name amen if you prayed that prayer there's a little box at the bottom of the chat box click it Say, raise my hand. And you can also text new life to 25827. New life to 25827.